Welcome to Tuesday at 10. This is Carl Treacher and I have the distinct pleasure yet again of being joined by James Carter as we look at change, high performance and check in with one of Australia's greatest ever athletes, Guy Leach. James, welcome to the program. Thanks, Carl. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting pivot that you could say this this direction this week. Uh, we, we're changing changing direction a little bit. Are we? I'm just really trying to use the word pivot. I see. But I, I can't work it out. Well, everyone's using it, so I can understand. Jump on that. <laughs> but um, look, um, we mentioned you mentioned last week. I can't remember in relation to what um, the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, um, and I think one of yep. the uh, crucial moments in that in that movie or in that sorry uh, documentary for me was um, where Michael Jordan is having a having a coin toss with someone who works in what might be described as a fairly menial job at the basketball. Um, and the guy beats him. He gets his, he tosses his coin and it lands closer to the wall than Michael's coin. And Michael can't let it go. He can't just turn around to this guy and go, well done, you win. Here's your $1 or $5 or whatever they were gambling. He has to, he really drives and pushes for another go. And he's kind of joking, but you can see there's a, there's a sense there that Michael Jordan is someone who just cannot not win. He has to win everything. And that's, that's a driving force behind his personality. Whereas a lot of his uh, mates on the team seem to have, um, you know, a drive to have fun and do other things. All he wants to do is win. All he wants to do is train. Um, and I suppose, Carl, you know, we're talking today a little bit about high performance in organizations and high performance in people. And do you think that drive is what, you know, is what makes a difference for a company, having that sort of high performance desire to win at all costs? I think that's, we're definitely going to see that when we talk to Guy Leach later in this program. Uh, Guy Leach, uh, Lance Armstrong, there's a new documentary on Lance, I think called Lance, um, which, is a, which is a really great insight into the mentality and the motivation behind his success and also his drive to win at all costs, yeah. including cheating. Uh, and Michael's no different. I mean, obviously, we didn't we don't get into whether he had any sort of performance enhancement, but given it's basketball, he probably didn't. But I think all of those people, and I know Guy for a fact is as clean as a whistle, they have just got an absolute desperation to be the best. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know you see that, don't you? You see that in um, I think one of the, one of the interesting places you see that we work a lot with startups, and. Um, and we've seen some win and we've seen some fail, but um, you know the, the 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 drive isn't always the determining factor. I've seen some very very committed people who are so you know believe without any reserve in their ability to make this succeed, and they work so hard at their startup, and yet it fails. And you make a good point, James, that it, it takes more than drive and motivation. I mean, that's certainly where it starts, and it's the basis of all change. And when we look at motivation, people often have an idea and they have an intellectual or a, an internal sort of drive to, to get something done. That combined with the external pressure to get it done, you know, and when I say you might have an internal drive, oh, everyone wants to write a book, terrific. But if you're actually relying on that book to, to support your lifestyle, your family, you're much more likely to do it. So it's that combination between the internal drive and the external forces that actually, you know, uh, come together to create motivation that's going to lead you to the second stage of change, which is, do you have the capacity to change? A lot of people are dreamers. Ambition is one thing that you know, people like to put their hand up for, very ambitious. Well, we've got to really look at, 
do you have the capacity? And you know, when we say capacity to change, do, have you actually got the intellectual and the mental rigor to be able to deal with the change and, and have vision and the strategy to make it happen and the emotional sense to go through the uncertainty and the ambiguity that comes along with change? And we're only at stage two of a three-stage process. If that's the case, we then move on to... Hold on, hold on, hold on. What's, what's stage one? Motivation. For those who weren't listening, which in this instance were actually just you, <laughs> motivation is the first stage of change, internal and external combined. Second stage is do you have the capacity to change? Just a lovely refresher for James. Thank you. Thirdly, do we have the resources to change, the tools to change and the support and the time to change? It's not an easy effort. Thank you for that recap. Sometimes I, my, my ears seem to just turn off when you're talking. It's very difficult to stop them. Me too. I actually, always, whenever you say anything... <laughs> So let's talk about a couple of examples before we jump into a Guy Leach's interview. Um, a couple of organisations that we could find that really were a great example of change, and, and you'd like to use the expression pivoting. What would you find? Okay, so um, look, I, 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 for, 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 you know, for full um, honesty and, and openness, um, this, is, uh, this is mainly from an article um, from Forbes who produced some excellent content. Um, but um, Groupon... Um, Groupon's a good good place to start. I think it's a brand that we've all heard of. So Groupon actually, uh, the founder of Groupon um, was Andrew Mason. And in 2007, he started a social good fundraising site uh, called The Point, um, which ran on this tipping point system. Um, so the cause will only receive the funding if the funding reaches, reaches the agreed amount. Um, and he, on the side of that, he started... Um, uh, Groupon, which was uh, a more a B2C offer in which there was he, he used the same tipping point um, concept. And that's how Groupon sort of quickly became um, a, as big as it is today, the daily de deal tycoon um, and, and the start of a whole new interface of businesses. I think Groupon's a really clever business because um, that tipping point is the heart of it. But with the benefit of social media and, and 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 all the connection points people have, it was this, you know, this 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 exponential growth of a business's audience as people try to hit that tipping point in which the offer becomes um, becomes a reality. So that that was quite a nice pivot. Um, I'm going to go back in time a little bit. Go ahead. Um, so Wrigley didn't always sell gum. Um, in fact, William Wrigley Jr. stumbled on the value of gum while giving it away for free. Mr. Wrigley Jr. moved to Chicago in 1890s and took up work as a soap and baking powder salesman. He got the idea of offering free chewing gum with his purchases, and the gum proved to be more popular than its actual product. I'm just reading this because the writing's so lovely. Oh, I here. can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Wrigley, Wrigley went on to manufacture his own chewing gum brands, Juicy Fruit Spearmint and eventually Double Mint. Um, today, the company grosses billions in revenue and is one of the most recognizable brands in American history. Um, so these two examples are both very similar. The side project, the, the side hustle, as we like to call it today, um, overtakes the main hustle. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there with side hustles hoping that one day they're going to replace their, their main business. And I suppose, you know, no, seeing value and understanding when to, when to change and then pursuing that change is, um, is a key. The last one I wanted to look at... Um, should you want to look from I'm, Wikipedia? From, mm -hmm. This is actually still from this wonderful I think that's Forbes article entitled um, oh no, please, then go 14 ahead. Famous Business Pivots. <laughs> hmm. 
Is this what this podcast is now? You just reading the I, internet? I read the internet quite poorly. I'm not the best reader. I would like to. I'd like to make a formal apology to our <laughs> listeners for so far everything you've heard on the podcast. Let's let's change it up a little. I'm bit. I'm just going to so, do Twitter. Shall I do Twitter? Twitter's a good one. I don't one. think so. So let's move on to uh, actual change in high performance, which is the topic and the theme of this podcast. So one of the things that a lot of organizations haven't gone through recently is uh, stumbling blocks. There hasn't been a lot of examples of failure or um, you know, investment in one direction that sort of hasn't quite worked. And then the entire organization has to learn from that to okay. learn to do something else. Okay, I'm going to give you one last example. One that's close to both of our hearts, friends of ours, people we work with, um, mm. who've who struggled. This fits into your your. This fits beautifully Brilliant. into what. Let's and hear it's, it. I'm not reading it. This is a personal story. Um, so we okay. we um, we do a bit of work with a company called Startime, and Startime are are a, a, a what do they call them? A world class creative learning, and their their original business or their their current business is incursions in schools and in the workplace so an organization can hire star time and they will come and run bring your kids to work things at, at their workplace and it's a you know it's quite an innovative business they also run them in schools and for the community but covid19 hit and um we were working with uh, joe and Lindsay, and um you know they they, they sort of turned around to us and said our, our, all our businesses you know a lot of our business is gone um because we can't take kids into the workplace we can't have group meetings because of covid19 and so they were sort of they were at this crossroads um where they really really didn't know how they were going to survive they talked about how could they take their um how could they take their courses online and they and they managed to do it and they quite quickly um succeeded in um, getting some of their corporates on board and last school holidays so that would have been the easter school holidays in an amazingly short period of time, they converted their very um, well well loved in person face to face courses to online courses, and it's been a really beautiful success story for them. They, yeah, you know, um, that's true. And we've seen them them grow, and we're just helping them with the the next round, which is coming up to the winter school holidays, and they've grown rapidly, and they're improving all the parts that they haven't. But you know, that was that was in relation to what you said a pivot or a transformation out of necessity. Absolutely. And a very, very long story at that. So <laughs> in an effort to create something of value for anyone listening to this, we did speak to one of Australia's greatest ever athletes this week, Guy Leach. A little bit about Guy Leach for those of you who don't know. He won seven Uncle Toby Super Series races in the 80s, won the Cool and Get a Gold twice, uh, won the World Championships in Vancouver and Canada in 86, and the World Ocean Paddling race a Molokai 94. He's also dubbed Australia's fittest athlete by Australian Institute of Sport in 93. He is no stranger to chaos, no stranger to putting, to look, basically staring death in the face in some of those races and coming out on top. And this is what Guy had to say about change and performance. So Guy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Carl. Good to be here. Great to have you on. This episode is focused on uh, change and growth. Um, with a, a big emphasis on performance, you know, how are organizations, people, brands, places adjusting, uh, shift, shifting or pivoting, as everyone loves to say at the moment, and really performing well? Um, I thought we'd, we might just ask you a couple of questions. You've, your career in some ways speaks for itself athletically. A lot of people know, you know, your success as an athlete. 
what they probably don't know as much is that you've you know delved into a range of different arenas and and industries and also been successful so from a, a perspective of you know changing and growing and performing what do you think it takes look i got lucky through my sporting career having good coaches that instilled good information and good platforms in place that at the time, you know, when you're younger, you're not really seeing it as a, a life lesson or seeing it as something that um, you take on board for the rest of your life. But in fact, that's what exactly what it was. And, you know, part of what we did, you know, when we were, when I was swimming to try to make the Olympic Games or trying to be the best Ironman in the world was you were constantly looking at ways to improve. Part of the formula to success and part of that improvement factor of getting the best out of yourself and, and trying to make yourself better than the rest was challenging yourself in how do I find and we always looked at six or seven percent so six or seven percent a year improvement to keep yourself in front of the pack and so that mentality that I had um, you know during my sporting days didn't leave me when I went into you know the outside world and into business and into other areas of, of life. And so, you know, I, I was pretty much schooled in, in high performance from those days. And, you know, I, and I didn't know anything else when I went into different businesses. And I really just took on board those, those platforms and pillars and structures that I had from the sporting background and just applied them as if I was in another sport, but it was business. And, mm. and they worked, you know, they worked. It sort of, there was a, there was always that level of, you could even call it, um, I had a feeling like if I wasn't improving every day and I wasn't searching for ways to find um, a way of being better, I felt like I was sort of going backwards and that was sort of instilled in me. So when you start talking about high performance and improvement and all that area, mate, I think that attitude that you need to have is something that is so important for those people that are those one percenters that get a lot done and seem to be the ones that uh, win. You know, and, and from my perspective, you know, having trained with you for a couple of years and unfortunately having to play golf with you, um, you know, that, that mentality and that ethos that you've got really rubs off. You know, you show up for a, a training session, you want to paddle on the ski and you feel like taking it easy. Well, if you're training with you, that's not actually possible. Uh, and then you think you're showing up for golf and you've pull your, your clubs out of your bag and do a couple of putts and say, right, let, let's go, Leach, let's hit the, um, hit the first. And you say, no worries. And an hour later, after you've done 36 putts and 100 golf swings, you know, you're ready to go. So that rub off effect or that sort of halo effect that that mentality has, you know, for leaders, I imagine that's actually quite critical now. And we're starting to see the true leaders, you know, stand up through the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people will, will will think and say that they're, they're leaders. And I think that in hard times when things aren't going well, you, you see the true colours of the ones that are, you know, the ones that stand up above the rest. So, you know, it's an interesting time that we're in at the moment. Um, you know, I embrace, like personally, I, I embrace chaos to a degree um, because I learned that when I was competing and training that you had to expect the unexpected Races never went exactly the way they would want to. And you've got to remember that that Ironman period of 15 years I had at the top, you know, when you're dealing with the beach and the surf and waves, then you had to learn to be uncomfortable with being, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. You had to learn how to take a chaotic situation out in the surf and deal with the unexpected that would co come when a wave 
landed on your head going out through the surf on a board and a ski or whatever. So, you know, that sort of dynamic that became sort of normal for me mm. over time. Yeah. Was something where for the average person, change and that chaotic environment is not normal. Um, one of my coaches would, would bang on about um, to it, to the, the group would bang on about if you're not feeling, you're not searching for that uncomfortable state in, in training or in a race, then you're not going to that area of improvement. And on top of that, you don't get the best out of yourself. And, you know, it, it takes guts and it takes a level of bravery to go and, you know, search out an uncomfortable state and be in a position where, you know, you, you, you look for it all the time. Yeah. People, people feel comfortable of being in a, in an existence where they're not under too much pressure. Mm. They're not putting their head up above the crowd or the pack. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was always for me, my, and I, I got thrusted into this, but I, I won a race back in 1984. That was the first ever professional Ironman race. I wasn't meant to win it. No one expected me to win it. I didn't expect to win it, but I, I did. Mm. And so all of a sudden a sport was born out of this one, this one event. And I was at the top of the tree, the top of the mountain, right from the get go, mm. which was really unusual, but that was the state of play. And yeah. so I had to get really good at going, everyone else is trying to chop my legs out from under me because mm. I'm at the top of the mountain and everyone, I've got a target on my back. Mm. And so it was, it was uncomfortable at the start being mm. in that position, but I, I grew to just learn that that was reality and I had to go and put in place on a daily basis in training and what I did in my life to be able to combat that and to, to stay at the top of the mountain and not let other people jump over the top. So, you know, it's that mentality that you need to have um, that separates the best from the rest. And, you know, if you can get yourself in a position where, you know, you'll go and do things that other people won't do, the pack won't do to get better, and you separate yourself on those ones and two percenters mm. of what you're willing to do to be uncomfortable to get yourself ahead of them. Mm. And that's the difference between being, you know, good and great or great and being the best in the world. Because mm. when you get to that high level, 98, 99% of what Freddie does, you're doing. Yeah. But the difference between me and Freddie is that I'd go those one or two percent more and be willing to do that and willing to go and find that uncomfortable position and go and do things that others won't do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, we, a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about resilience and being able to have endurance and deal with, you know, what you're calling chaos, I suppose, you know, fresh changes thrown up in your face where you don't really expect it. You don't never done it before. You don't quite know what to do. You know, you've got all this anxiety around it, but yeah, from what you're saying there and from knowing you for a while, you're sort of in a fortunate position that, you never really had to learn it because you think about the psychology that goes on for you and, and the guys that you were competing against, you know, Piha or Portsy when it's 15 foot landing on your head and it's your career to perform well, you know, it's your job to find a way through that, that, that adversity. You know, how do I make my way through this challenge? How do I change? You might've been training thinking it was going to be flat, but all of a sudden it's 15 foot and you've got to call on a new set of skills. So I imagine that's really, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm also interested to know right now, you know, you've in the last couple of years, you've shifted again at your perspective yeah. and your, your business focus. Yeah. And I thought it'd be great to talk to our listeners a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah. So like, 
my whole background in, in success was born out of finding the thing that at the time I loved doing the most, um, going with it. And I think that when you start talking about, you know, getting to the top of the tree or being the best in the world in that area, you find the, the common denominator between people like that is that they, they love to death what they do. Mm. Um, and there's, there's a state of time that exists to become great at something and you've got to stick at it. And for those that don't love something as much as what other people do, and they don't have sort of some sort of mission or passion behind what they're into, um, mate, they'll drop off normally yeah. When, yeah. when things get tough and roadblocks are thrown up in front of them. So it's, it, you know, it's worth noting that for me, the advantage that I had was that I didn't look at a category and go, I can make a lot of money in this. Let's give this a crack. Mm. It was more like, mate, I love this whole Ironman concept. I love the idea of doing it and success and all the other bits that came with it came after the fact. And, and I did the same thing in health and fitness where I, I transitioned out of being a professional athlete quite well compared to other well-known sports people because I had a, a vision and a, a roadmap of what I wanted to do. But, but more importantly, I had a passion for that. So it was a, it was a nice transition to go into that. And I was successful because of it and, and made good money. And, and, you know, by chance four years ago in a, a fitness class that I was taking a mate that, that was, you know, one of my closest mates that you knew as well, um, Charles Stewart had a sudden cardiac arrest in my, my training group. And, you know, as it turned out, I had to, I had my hands on his chest trying to bring him back to life, which was unsuccessful because I didn't know that I needed a, a life-saving defibrillator that would restart the heart there to go and uh, bring him back. So off the back of that and learning, um, you know, what, what reality was based around, around that and what I didn't know, I became very, very passionate about um, trying to save other people and do some good out of a tragedy and, and, and a legacy to, to Charles, my mate, that his life wasn't lost in vain. So the last four years, mate, I've gone and built up over time probably the most successful defibrillator business in Australia. Um, that's, that probably ed educates more people in this country than anyone else. This business mm -hmm. has a massive sales force behind it. Right? We save a life that we know of on average every seven to eight weeks now in Australia. And, you know, the legacy from that is the fact that, you know, you know, Charles's life hasn't been in vain losing him because there's a whole bunch of people I can name right now whose lives have been saved based on, on Chucky's situation and what we've gone and done because of it. So, um, you know, when you start talking about a successful business that was born out of um, that, that day that occurred mm. um, and the passion that I've got now and the energy I've got to want to go and make a difference. Um, but then you don't have a successful business and you don't grow at the levels that we have unless you go and follow those processes that I said before, which I did in sport, which, mm. which is so important and have that attitude in your mind to, to go and do things that other people haven't done, not be afraid to go and be different, um, you know, be, be courageous, um, you know, during hard times like we've had the last two months with COVID. Mm. Our business hasn't slowed down because of that. Mm. We've been agile, we've pivoted, we've done all those things that we would do in a 15 foot surf, 
mm. to go and survive and not die. Well, we've done the same thing with this business, you know? Mm. So yeah, it, it, look, it's, it's a, it, it's an ongoing journey. This one It's one that I'm going to keep doing until we get a, a solution from the biggest killer in Australia, which is sudden cardiac arrest. And, you know, DPIPs need to be everywhere and they're not at the moment. And, you know, it's my job every day when I wake up to, to get closer to, to getting more out there so that people don't die. Yeah. Terrific. So thanks guy. That's been incredibly informative. And obviously, you know, I personally know you well and, and wish you all the best with that business. I think every business should be considering some of the things you said. They're not just from a, how can they perform well, but really even into what you're doing at the moment, if they're serious about the well-being of their people, well, it may well start with the, the largest killer in Australia being cardiac arrest. So thanks again for being on the show. Cheers, Carl. And, and also just um, for, the, for the people listening, you know, most people, when you bring up that, have a story themselves. Yeah. And I know you do as well. Um, mm. And I know it's close to, to your heart in what I do in this area because you've been affected by, by issues to do with heart attack and sudden cardiac arrest. So, yeah. Um, but I appreciate being able to talk about it. Uh, uh, thanks, thanks for all that. And, um, yeah, it, um, it, look, it's, it's, a, it's a good cause for yeah. sure. Brilliant. Thanks again. Thanks, Carl. And that was Guy Leach, no stranger to change in high performance, now the CEO at Heart 180. Yeah, it was great. I think, you know, I think it really comes in, in terms of a, a sort of a conclusion to this podcast. Sometimes change and transformation is essential um, to success. And it's difficult. It's, it's in our psyche. Uh, we, we before, we, as, as you know, as a, as a follower of psychology, making behavioral changes um, and making personal changes anybody who's tried to go on a diet or start an exercise routine or give up smoking you know it's a hard thing to do um well i've had to do all those things um it's a they're 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 hard things to do and to do that across a large or even a medium-sized organization takes a lot of determination and a lot of momentum and everybody getting on board to make these things happen. And certainly, I think it would be fair to say to have a high performing leader um, who has the determination to make it happen is going to make that a lot easier. Yeah, no, no doubt, mate. I think just in conclusion, I saw a, a, a quote that um, has been certainly, you know, it's been around for a while, but people are talking about it at the moment. And that is, you know, when it's all said and done, more is said than is <laughs> done. Um and you know, right now it is about deeds, not words, and particularly in change and high performance. A lot of people want to change. You know, think about an organization that feels like, oh, good, we're going to change. We're going to move through transformation, which everyone is sort of embarking on at the moment. The, the issue is the, the base plate or the place that people start for that change is motivation. Now, what motivates you to change is different to what motivates yeah. me. And so if we're talking about an organization of 10, 20, 100, 1,000, 5,000, 35,000 people. It is a very intricate and delicate process. And so there is a charismatic leader that needs to be you know, unwavering in terms of the way that they're approaching it and moving towards that destination. But really do need the science behind this to make sure that you are providing people with not just the information in terms of what the change means, but leadership support around it, um, incentives for you know why should they change and what, what happens if they don't, a very clear direction. And then enablement, which is always the challenge in terms of um, employee engagement generally and also just change. How are we enabling our people to make this change and support them along the way? That certainly was 
more said than done, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's Tuesday at 10 for this week. Until next time, thanks, James. Thanks, Carl.